Welcome to the LYA podcast. Liberty Young Adults exists to discover the community that you were created for and to follow the purpose God made you for. This podcast was created so that you can catch up on the sermons that you might have missed or just want to listen to again. Here's Pastor Corbett. Tonight, we're going to continue uh, the series that we've been in. It's titled More. And the whole premise of this series, what we've been looking at and talking through uh, during this time, is that God has so much more in store for your life. That God's plan and the desire that he has for your life is often far greater than what you and I settle for. That we often settle for something so much less than what God has for us. In the first week, we talked about complete joy. We looked at 1 John chapter 1 where the Apostle John is writing, and he says, I'm writing these things so that your joy may be complete. And that's a phrase that I think sticks out to so many of us because I don't know about you, but I struggle to experience complete joy in my life. But John says that complete joy comes from living in fellowship with God and living in fellowship with other believers, other followers of Christ. The concept that he presents there is not that we're perfect, not that we never make mistakes, but that we live this lifestyle of confession and repentance so that there's nothing that hinders the relationship between us and God and us and other people. The next week, last week, we talked about perfect peace, and we looked at the book of Isaiah. We also looked in Philippians, and Scripture says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. That God has a perfect peace for us that comes from focusing our mind, our thoughts on who he is and trusting him. And we can experience this peace that even passes human understanding when we take our trials and our struggles and our concerns to him rather than trying to handle them all on our own. And I think we could stop there with just the two topics that we've talked about and say like, you know what, if God can give me perfect peace and he can give me complete joy, like sign me up. I'm good with that. Like that's enough for me to want to uh, jump on the train. But as we go into this last message tonight, I feel like almost like someone from an infomercial where like, you know, for four quick payments of $19.99, you can have this. But wait, there's more. You know, like we're going to throw in something else. Like, but when we look at scripture, it's not just complete joy or perfect peace. But what we're going to look at tonight is that in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I came so that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. Jesus said, I came so that you may have life and that you may have it in abundance. The word abundance means large quantities, exceedingly exceptional. So Jesus says, my purpose in coming to this earth was not just to give you life, but it was to give you an exceptional life. And he's not just talking about eternity. Like, yes, the fullness of his promise and the full fulfillment of that is, yes, that he offers eternal life to all those who would believe in him. But what Jesus is saying in this passage is that if you know me, you can have life and you can have it in abundance right now. That you can experience this full, exceptional life by living in fellowship in relationship with me. And so here's what I want to present to you as we kind of put a bow on this series. As we look at the topics, we've talked about complete joy, perfect peace. Tonight, we're going to look at abundant life. Here's what I want to present. Who you are with and what or who you listen to and who you trust will determine the life that you have. I'm going to say that again because it's kind of a mouthful. Who you are with 
what or who you listen to and who you trust will determine the life that you have. Perfect peace, complete joy, abundant life. Those things are found in Jesus when you're walking with him, when you're listening to him, when you're trusting him enough to respond in obedience. This is where those things are found. And I think many people think that abundant life or exceptional life is something that is defined by their circumstances. Like, today was a hard day, so I don't really have abundant life, you know? Or maybe it's like, man, if I could like just find the person that God has for me, if I could get married, then my life might be described as being exceptional. Like my life might be better. If I could just get that job that's going to make more money, then, then maybe I would obtain abundant life. Like if I could just get that house and that car, if I could afford it, that one I really want, like then maybe my life would be exceptional. Maybe it would be abundant. Or maybe if you could just have that private jet and go on all the trips that you wanted, then you would be like, okay, this is abundant life right here. Like, I'm in the islands. This is pretty good. Maybe that's the concept or the idea that you have of a fool or an exceptional life. But here lies the issue with that way of thinking. It leaves our peace, our joy, our life up to chance or up to circumstances. That when things are good, I have it. But if I come across misfortune, so much for that abundant life, so much for that peace, so much for that joy that you talk about. The reality is is that there's no amount of money that's going to bring you true peace in this life. There's no amount of money, there's no amount of things that you could obtain that's going to bring true joy in this life. You think about some of the wealthiest people to ever live, and they're some of the most depressed or discouraged people because they've got enough money to buy anything that they could ever imagine, and yet it still doesn't satisfy. It still isn't fulfilling. It's still not enough. There's no amount of money or worldly status that can bring you peace. And all of these things that people long for, that they think is going to bring joy, is going to bring peace, and is going to bring an exceptional life, what Scripture says is that they can only be found in a relationship with Jesus. So here's the beauty about this tonight. Right where you are, married or single, rich or poor, this is starting to sound like vows. That's not what I was going for. (laughs) Sickness or in health, we're just going to keep it going. It's working. Um, Whether you're here tonight and you're married or you're single, whether you're healthy or you're battling a sickness, whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're struggling or you're thriving, you can have an abundant life in Jesus. You can experience perfect peace. You can experience complete joy because those things are not based off of your circumstances. They're based off the relationship and the fellowship and the trust and the obedience that you have that's directed towards God. I want to read this for you one more time. Who you are with What or who you listen to and who you trust in will determine the life that you have. Let's jump into John chapter 10. We're going to start by looking at verses 1 through 6. It says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. These figure of speech, uh, this figure of speech, Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So in verses one through six, Jesus is using a figure of speech, and he's talking about sheep and a shepherd. He says, all that do not enter by the door are thieves and robbers. He says, the shepherd goes in and his sheep know him. They hear his voice and they follow him, but they will not follow a stranger. So I want you to understand the context of what's taking place here. Because if we just start reading that, we don't get a full understanding or grasp of what uh, Jesus is trying to communicate in this passage. He is talking to the Pharisees, who were the religious rulers and leaders of that day, and just to have a better understanding of what's taking place, when we look at this passage, chapter 9 and chapter 10, there's no break in between. Like, even though our English Bible breaks it down to this is chapter 9, this is chapter 10, this is a continuation of a conversation that he's having in chapter 9. So in chapter 9, Jesus heals a man that is born blind. The Pharisees then are in uproar because Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath. So like, who is this man that is healing someone on the Sabbath? This goes against our law. And so they go and they find this man and they begin questioning him. And they're like, hey, who is this guy that healed you? And I love the answer um, that, the, that the man gives. He says, basically, I don't know, but all I can tell you is I once was blind and now I can see. And so then, then there's this, this conversation that goes on between this man who was blind and now has his sight and the Pharisees who are in uproar because they're the religious authorities and someone has broken their law by healing on the Sabbath. I want you to see what Jesus says in verse 9, or in chapter 9, verses 39 through 41. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. So in this passage, Jesus is saying, I came to this earth so that those like this man who was healed that cannot see might see, and so that those who think that they can see might actually be blind. He's talking about the Pharisees. Why? Because they rely on their self-righteousness. That even though they claim to be the religious leaders, even though that they claim to know and to study the scriptures, they've studied the scriptures, but they haven't had eyes to see what God is actually teaching them. Because standing right in front of them is the Son of God. Standing right in front of them is Jesus, the Messiah, who all of scripture promised. And he does this incredible work. And instead of seeing who he is and believing and worshiping him because of that, they say, basically, this man is sinful because he healed someone on the Sabbath. They have a knowledge about God, but they don't know God. And so in this passage, Jesus says, I came so that those who think they see might be blind. And it's like these guys scoff. They're like, who are you to say that we are blind? We are the religious authorities and elites. And so that's the verse that kind of transitions us in to John chapter 10 verses 1 through 6, where it says that Jesus is speaking in a figure of speech. 
He's talking about how the gatekeeper opens the door for the shepherd and his sheep hear his voice and they know him and they follow him. And anyone that tries to enter by any other way than the gate is a thief and a robber. If you don't enter by the gate, you're a stranger and the true sheep will not follow you. This is important. I want you guys to remember this for later because we're going to go back to that same idea. Anyone that enters the sheep by or, or the fold by any way other than the door or the gate is a stranger. They are a thief. They are a robber. This is the claim that he makes. Jesus makes this statement about the Pharisees not being able to see. So in chapter 9, he says they're not being able to see, and they scoff. They're like, who, who does he think that he is? And then in chapter 10, he starts with a figure of speech, and verse 6 says that they did not understand him. So Jesus is trying to explain the things of God. He's trying to explain these truths. He's really explaining who they are versus who he is. And it says they don't grasp it because he's speaking in a figure of speech. So again, these individuals that claim to see don't have eyes to see the truth in Scripture. But I want us to keep reading. Verse 7 says this. So Jesus said, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus speaks in a figure of speech in verses 1 through 6. And then he says, okay, they don't get it. I'm going to speak more plainly and say exactly what I intend here. And in verses 7 through 10, it tells us that Jesus is the door. He says, I am the door to the sheep. Why is this important? I want you to think about this for just a minute. What is the purpose of a door? This is not a trick question. Like, what is the purpose of a door? A door does a couple important things. One, it keeps people out that you don't want in your house or in a room. I told you all last week about the guy that came to my door in the middle of the night and how that was terrifying, and that door was the only thing between me and him. A door keeps someone out or something out, but also a door is the way for you to enter into a room or to a space or into another area. So a door can protect, but it's also something that you go through in order to enter a room or a building. Jesus says, I am the door. I don't want y'all to miss this here. What he's saying is, inside, past the door, is the flock. These are the people of God. We could say this is the church, could be another way to explain that. He says, I am the door. If you want access to God, if you want to be a part of his flock, if you want to be a part of the church, a part of his family, you must go through the door, and I am the door. He's saying there's only one way to God, and it's through the door. The only way to salvation and to have a relationship with God is through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying very plainly in this passage. If you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to have forgiveness of your sins, if you want to know that you have eternal life, if you want to be part of the flock of the community of God's people, the only way to get there is through me. He says this elsewhere in John chapter 14 where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The only way to salvation and to have a relationship with God is through his son, Jesus. 
But think back to what he said earlier. He said, anyone uh, who enters by any way other than the door is a thief and a robber. What Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, you religious leaders who claim to know God and speak on his behalf aren't doing anything but leading people astray because you don't have eyes to see that the only way to have a relationship with God and to be a part of his family, the only way to experience God's blessing is through the door. It's through his son, Jesus Christ, and I'm standing right before you. And what he says is if you aren't going through the door, if you're not going through Jesus, then you are not of God. Jesus says anyone who enters by me will be saved. Salvation comes through Jesus. And so we have these guys who are claiming to speak on behalf of God and to be the religious authorities and elites. And he's saying, you don't acknowledge that the only way to know God is through me. The same thing rings true today in our lives. If you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to know that heaven can be your home, if you want your sins forgiven, there's no other way to get there. You can't be good enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't pray to any other God. There's no way to get access to God other than believing in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You've probably heard people say, well, maybe there's many ways to God. Well, if there's many ways to God, then Jesus isn't one of them because he makes a very exclusive claim. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't say, I am a way. He says, I am the way and I am the door. If you want access to God, it only comes through me. Salvation comes through Jesus. But he also says in this passage, I want you to see what it says up here in uh, verse number 9. It says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Going in and out just echoes covenant theology that we see back in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 28.6 communicates this idea that you will be blessed when you come in, and you will be blessed when you go out. And it's this idea of fertility and fruitfulness that is a blessing that God's people find for or because of their obedience. So if you are a part of God's family, if you are a believer, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, he says you're going to be blessed when you go in, you're going to be blessed when you go out, and you're going to have uh you're going to have fruitfulness. You're going to have provision. This term, he talks about this pasture, and it just communicates this assurance of God's provision. So what Jesus is saying is those who enter the door will be saved, and they will experience God's blessing and his fruitfulness over their life, and they will experience his provision. I want you all to understand what this means tonight. When you follow Jesus, that is what he offers you. That is why you can have abundant life, not because the life's going to be easy, not because you're not going to face challenges, not because there won't be hardships or persecution along the way, but Jesus says that I will bless you. I will be with you. I will provide for you. But I want you to see something else in the passage. Not only does it talk about Jesus being the door, but it talks about the thief. In this passage, it says the thief comes to steal to kill, and to destroy. Jesus says, I come so that you might have life and so that you might have it in abundance. But he's talked about a stranger. He's talked about a thief. He's talked about a robber. And he, say, he says, these come to steal, to kill, and destroy. 
And it's very easy and very direct when we look at the context to take this phrase and to say, well, he's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the religious leaders that, that were not seeing the truth in this passage, that were giving this man who was healed a hard time. Why? Because these Pharisees, they weren't life-giving or bringing joy. That although they claimed to be from God, what they were doing was they were laying heavy burdens on people that they couldn't carry. They were making the law even more difficult than what they found in Scripture and trying to force people to carry out. And if they had a wrong step, they were right there to condemn them, even though they didn't hold themselves to the same standard. Earlier in the passage, though, it says, anyone who does not enter by the door is a thief or a robber. Then we just read a minute ago that Jesus is the door. So I want to present something a little bit different to you. I do believe that the passage is talking about the Pharisees. But I also believe that because it says anyone who does not enter by the door is a thief or a robber, and then it says Jesus makes the claim that I am the door, that any person or ideology that does not recognize or identify Jesus as the way to God can be described as the thief or the robber in this passage. And I'm going to explain this a little bit more. When we talk about the thief, it could easily be used to describe Satan, the enemy. Scripture says that he roams the earth seeking who he may devour. But let me take it a step further. What about even the ideology of this world? A worldview that is counter to what Scripture or Jesus teaches. This idea that it's not about going through the door to gain access to God, but maybe the way that you find joy is by just doing whatever your heart desires. That maybe you, the way you find joy is by pursuing relationships that, are, that aren't glorifying to God. That maybe you find joy and peace and satisfaction by just living it up and doing whatever you think is going to make you happy. Maybe it's this philosophy that it's all about what you desire and what you think is best. But that goes counter to what Scripture or what Jesus teaches Think about the things of this world and the things of this life. Many of them promise joy. They promise pleasure. They promise satisfaction. They promise happiness. They promise you a better life, and yet they leave you feeling empty. They leave you feeling discouraged, maybe depressed, hopeless, or lacking purpose. I think too many people aren't experiencing abundant life that comes from Christ because they're giving opportunity to the thief that is robbing them of their joy. That they're buying into the ideas of this world and pursuing those things to find abundant life or to find joy instead of just walking with Jesus, living in obedience to him, spending time in his presence. And yet instead of those things giving you what they promise to do, what they do is they take away. They rob. They leave you feeling like something is lacking because those were the things that were never created or made for you to feel complete or to feel fullness or to feel peace or to feel joy. And it doesn't even have to be bad things. Like, I'm not just saying sinful things. I'm saying some things we make an idol and they become a higher priority than our walk with the Lord. And even though we thought they were going to bring us happiness, they end up robbing us of joy because they can't do what we desire them to do. And so uh, as we look at that idea, I just want you to see that, that there are things in this world 
There are people in this world that can rob us of the abundant life or steal the abundant life that we can have in Christ. I'm not saying they can take away your salvation, but what I'm saying is you won't experience the fullness of what God created you for and what he desires for you if you're listening to and you're being led by the wrong people or the wrong things. The passage, the last thing I want you to really see in there is the shepherd. We've talked about the door. We've talked about the thief. I want you to see the good shepherd. Jesus said, I came so that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. There are people out there, as we look at this passage, that will try to act like the shepherd. That they'll climb into the pen, they'll come in by a way other than the gate. And he said, they're strangers. There are people out there that will try to point you in the wrong direction. They'll try to tell you this is the way that you need to go, and it's truly not what's best for you. They'll try to lead you, but they are not the shepherd. If you follow them, you'll find yourself wanting. You'll find yourself lacking joy and peace. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I come so that you might have life and so that you might have it abundantly. I don't know about you, but that's the life that I want. I want that abundant life that's only found in Jesus, that's found in living for him, walking with him, spending time with him. The voices you listen to and the people that you allow to guide you will impact the way that you walk through this life. If you're looking to God's word to guide your life, if you're looking to the words of Jesus, because Scripture says that he is the word, that the word became flesh, if you're looking to that to guide your life, to lead you in the right direction, you're going to find joy. You're going to find peace. You're going to find purpose. You're going to find hope. But if you start looking to other areas, if you start looking to other things to be your guide, to point you in the right path, you're going to see some of those things start to be lacking. Some of those things start to be missing from your life. I want to share a story with you guys. And uh, how many of y'all have ever been whitewater rafting? Anybody in here ever been whitewater rafting? Okay, a good amount of you. Can you put the first picture up on the screen? Y'all, this is a throwback, okay? This is from my senior trip in high school that was, I'm not going to tell you how many years ago. Um, but I'm actually up front in the blue shirt, very intense. You can see that we're about to go over a ledge there. So let me give you the backstory. It all started when, like, how did we get there? All right, so we're on our senior trip, and there's a bunch of different students that are going whitewater rafting, and we show up, and they give us the whole spiel. If you've ever been whitewater rafting, before you get in the raft, probably for legal reasons, they tell you about all the ways you could die. You know, they're like, you know, if you fall out, don't try to put your feet down because they can get lodged under a rock, and the current can push you under, and you can drown. And if this happens, don't do that because you could die. And if this happens, don't do And they give you this whole spill, and you're starting to think, like, I love a good thrill as much as the next person, but, like, is this worth doing? And if you've never been, I will tell you it's worth doing. It's a lot of fun. Don't be afraid. But they tell you, they say, if you fall out, keep your nose and your toes exposed. Here's the reason why. Because, obviously, you don't want to be face down in the water. That doesn't seem like you would survive very long. Like, probably not a good strategy. But also, the current is going to push you downstream. And so, if you're head first, you can hit a rock or something like that. Not good for your head. So, keep your feet down. So, if you're going to hit something, you can kind of bounce off of it and keep going. But also, you don't want to put your feet down on the ground because you could get stuck and the current pushes you over. So, they tell us all this. And I'm a little bit, like, concerned. Never been before. It's a little bit scary. 
And so we're getting ready. We've got a raft. We're walking to the part where we're going to get in. And y'all, bear with me on this because kind of like the time I talked about the Olympics, I'm not an expert in rafting. So if I use the wrong term, don't hold that against me. I'm going to give it the best that I've got. So we get close and they say, hey, you know, there's just so many groups here today. We don't have enough guides. So we need one group that is comfortable going down without a guide. If you don't know what that is, that's somebody that works for the company that helps you navigate the river safely and gets you to the end. I don't know how, I don't know if my friend that's in the back volunteered. I don't know if they just thought, hey, he's the biggest guy in the class. He can be a guide. He's never been before either, people. So he's never been whitewater rafting. And he says, yeah, we can do it. So we get in this raft. None of us have ever been before. It's going to be great. We take off. We're paddling. We maybe made it like 50 yards, and all of a sudden, we're stuck on the side. Like, we ran into the land, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a long day. And so we're, we're trying to push off. We can't get free. And so finally, another raft comes up, and the guy jumps out and pushes us back, and we're headed back down the stream. So we're like, okay, this is going to be great. We're headed down the river, and all of a sudden, we come to a fork in the river. And I remember them saying, like, hey, when you get up to the fork, make sure you don't go the wrong way because there's class five rapids and you guys aren't experienced enough to do that. So make sure you know which direction you're supposed to go. And so we're headed towards it. And I'm like, hey, they gave you the route. Like, which direction are we supposed to go up here? And he's like, uh, I think it's right, but I'm not real sure. And you're like, oh, great. This is awesome. And so the great uh, Yogi Berra, a great Yankees baseball player, is quoted for saying, when you come to a fork in the road, take it, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But we took it. We ran right into the middle. Like, we didn't go left. We didn't go right. We hit the center, and we're stuck on the land. And as we're sitting there, we're looking to the left, and we're like, it seems to be moving a lot faster that way, so we want to go right. But the boat's kind of drifting that way. Y'all, it's a train wreck. I don't know what happened. Somehow we got back on the right side And I think we were headed the right direction because we saw other rafts, so we're moving. All right, so we get a little further down, and I wish I was making this up, but this was how bad this whole experience was. We get a little further down, and we see all of the rafts are, like, going out to the right. And we're like, we don't want to go over that way because we can't steer very well, and we don't want to get stuck on the land again, so we stay right in the middle. We're going, we're going, we're good. All of a sudden, you hear, there's a rock that's sticking up like almost all the way to the top of the water and we hit it and we are now like lodged on top of this rock and so we're doing everything we can and we're just spinning circles on this rock and it's like man this is an experience and a half and so as we're spinning we're spinning finally another raft comes that has a guide and we see he's like directing them to us and we're like what is he gonna do they just ran into us full speed and knocked us off the rock so now we've spun around we're headed back downstream We kind of got the hang of it for a little while, like we're going through pretty calm areas. And then we remember them saying, like, when you get to the end, there's one really hard part before you're finished. It's like a six-foot shelf. Like, it's just going to drop off, and you'll land. It'll be great. But if you don't, there's always that caveat. Like, you're going to be fine. But if not, they had people down there that had, like, these bags that you could throw out into the water, and you try to grab the rope, they'll pull you in, or you pull them back into the raft. So... We start getting close to that, and we're like, y'all, we have no idea what to do here, but let's just try to stay straight, and let's go for it. So this is what's about to happen in this picture. The last seconds of our lives, maybe, we're not really sure what's going to happen there. So we go over this ledge. You can show the next picture. 
The raft about goes in half as we're landing. And then it gets worse because we get stuck to the rocks on the left side. So we're stuck to those rocks, and we decide, okay, we're going to push off of here and try to get free. And in doing so, we push our raft back underneath the waterfall that's coming off of that ledge. And so now it's just pouring into the back side of the boat. Somehow we get turned around, and I, who am in the front, am staring right into the waterfall. And y'all, this was God's grace in the midst of the chaos because I could have killed somebody in this moment. I get the bright idea. I'm going to take my oar, and I'm going to push it off the rock, and we're going to get free, and we're going to start floating downstream. I do that, and the pressure of the current literally shoots it back like a missile, like the opposite direction, and somehow, by the grace of God, it didn't kill someone in the raft. Like, it just shot straight down. So now, not only are we kind of stuck, we're down an oar, a paddle, whatever you want to refer to it as, we're still under this waterfall, and then somehow... I don't know what happened. Maybe we got enough water in there. It moved us away. We start floating downstream, but we look, and you can see this next picture. The guy in the back's gone. Like, he's no longer in the raft. He's now in the water close to the waterfall. Bad news is he's down. Good news is I've got to paddle again because he's, he left his in the boat. So then you've got this next picture. The girl in front of him is now gone. <laughs> She's in the water. And so they throw the, the rope out to her. And it, like, doesn't get to her. She doesn't grab it, and she's frantic. She's like, ah, like she's going to die because she didn't get the rope. So we go over, and I'm like, I've got to save her. I've got to pull her back in the boat. We get close enough to her, and they tell you, like, the way to get somebody up is you push them down and then pull up because it kind of gives them a bounce from the life jacket. And as I'm doing that, she's just, like, smacking me. Like, she's attacking me because she thinks I'm drowning her. And so I get her back into the boat, and then I look at the guy who fell out, and he's our guide, by the way, the one that was supposed to get us from point A to point B, and he was the complete opposite. You would have thought he was at water country. Like, he had his nose and his toes exposed, his hands were behind his head, and he's just floating downstream, like, enjoying the ride. So we were like, okay, cool, we'll get him at the bottom when we stop. He floats all the way down. He got out before we did. So the whole moral of that story is we didn't have a guide We didn't know where we were going. We didn't know what we were doing, and it was a train wreck. There were a lot of times where somebody could have got hurt. Someone could have died. We experienced a lot more challenges and trials and struggles because we didn't have an experienced guide that could point us in the right direction. I've been probably three or four other times where I had a guide that knew what they were doing, that knew the river, and it was nothing like that experience. It was night and day because they knew how to navigate danger, They knew how to get us in the right position that we needed to be, and they knew how to get us from one point to the next safely all along while experiencing the excitement and the fun that comes from whitewater rafting. Here's what I want you to take away from that that story. I know it was long and it was crazy and it was my misfortune, but when you go through life listening to the wrong people or or looking to people that are not Jesus to point you in the right direction, you run into a lot of trials. When you go through life trying to do everything on your own, we were a bunch of people who were unskilled, who had no right or ability to be in that raft trying to navigate it. And because of that, we experienced a lot of hardship, a lot of challenges, a lot of near-death experiences. But when you go with someone that knows what they're doing, that is a guide, that knows the river, 
they can help navigate you there safely. When you try to go through life on your own, you're going to experience a lot of challenges, a lot of hardships. When you're listening to people or voices other than God, it's going to put you in a lot of situations where it's difficult, it's challenging, it's lacking joy, it's lacking peace. But when Jesus is your guide, when he's the one that's speaking truth into your life, when he's the one that is telling you the way to go through his word, through his teachings, yeah, there's going to be challenges along the way. There's going to be obstacles that you have to navigate. There's going to be seasons of life that are hard, but he's going to be there with you every step of the way. You're not just trusting in your expertise or your abilities because you know that he's greater than whatever you're facing. And you know that what he says you can trust and you can believe and you can, and, and you can hold fast to it. And so I say all this to come back to what we were talking about. Jesus calls his followers not to a lifeless, miserable existence that squashes human potential, but to a rich, joyful life, one overflowing with meaningful activities under personal favor and blessing of God and in continual fellowship with his people. Not only is Jesus the door, but he's the good shepherd. He's the one that protects, that cares for, that leads, that sacrifices for his sheep. He says in this passage, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus lays down his life for his followers so that they can go on uh, not having a monotonous life. Like Jesus doesn't lay down his life so you can go on and, and just have a boring, unfulfilled, uh, dreadful life. He says, no, I lay down my life for you. I'm the good shepherd. I lay my, down, my, my life down so that you may have life and that you may have it in abundance. Jesus sacrificed for you so that you could experience fullness of joy that comes from knowing him, so that you could experience life and life to the fullest. But let me ask you tonight, what voices or what voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the life-giving voice of the good shepherd? The one that says, I laid down my life so that you could have life in abundance. Are you listening to voices that steal, that kill, and destroy? Who's your guide? Who's the one leading you? Who's the one that is pointing you in the right direction? A life spent following Jesus is where provision, blessing, and safety are found. The reality is, as we've walked through this series about complete joy and perfect peace and abundant life, is because what I long for as your pastor and what I believe our, our team that helps lead LYA longs for is we want you to experience all that God has for your life. We don't want you to just experience half of it. We don't want you to just be like, man, I'm here and I believe in Jesus, but like my life is a wreck. I'm here and I believe in God, but like I don't have peace. I don't have hope. I don't have joy. We believe that when we look at God's word, that it promises that if you walk with him, if you have a relationship with him, if you're spending time in his word and you're living in community with other believers, that there's joy and there's peace and there's hope that can be found. But what it really comes down to is will you walk with him? Will you obey him? Will you trust him? Not just say you trust him, but will you truly 
walk in fellowship with Jesus. When you look in his word, will you obey what his word says? And when you walk through the difficult seasons of your life, will you trust him? Will you believe that he can provide? Will you believe that he can protect you? Will you believe that he can deliver you from those challenging situations? I believe that as we look at this passage, we can see that Jesus came so that you could have life and so you could have it in abundance. And that life starts by believing in him, by believing that he is the door, by believing that he is the only way to God and he's the only way that you can have salvation. And so if you've never made that decision tonight, that's your first step. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you laid down your life so that I could have life and so I could have freedom. And if you've never made that decision, we want to talk with you tonight. I'll be here afterwards. I would love to share with you how you can know that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior and how you can know that heaven is your home. But also for the people of God, the concepts we've talked about have been really simple, but they're so hard to live out. And so I want to urge you and encourage you, don't just go through the motions. Don't be content with good enough or mediocre because God has more in store for your life. But it comes from being in fellowship with him. So maybe tonight there's sin in your life that you need to confess. Maybe tonight you've got to say, you know what? I'm not spending time with God. I'm not reading scripture. I'm not spending time in prayer, so I don't know how to live in obedience to him. Maybe you need to take that first step and just commit that that's going to be something that you're going to do. Maybe you are, but you just haven't quite obeyed. You kind of read scripture, but it doesn't change the way that you live your life. And maybe tonight the step is you got to say, God, I'm going to start living in obedience to your truth. Or maybe the key for you is trust. That you've got to say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you enough to step out in faith. I trust you enough to do whatever it is that you're calling me to do and to take that next step. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were encouraged and convicted through this message. Want to know more information about Liberty Young Adults? Visit libertylive.church slash youngadults or follow us on Instagram at libertylya. See you next week.